right now. Secondary ticket market, $5,604 to get into the Bell Center on Friday for Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Montreal Canadiens, Tampa Bay Lightning. What do you say, J.D.? Save so much money. You know, year and a half of not doing much to entertain yourself. Let's go. Arm in arm. Make I'm actually track. pretty surprised. I'm pretty surprised. That's kind of low. Mm-hmm. That's For the Montreal. That's, that's a game in Tampa, though, right? No, no, no. This is in Montreal. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, you're almost pro- you're probably better off as a Montreal Canadiens fan trying to make the trek down and pay the extra price, get to go to the States, get to see a little bit of freedom. <laughs> and you get a little taste of that old sweet freedom. And then you uh, go watch a hockey game and then, not pardon the pun, but then you bolt. Uh, that's good. You know what? Daddy's getting his second vaccine today. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, I'll go down there for game two uh, if I'm not feeling too horrible, which uh, I might be because uh, my wife had the second vaccine. She had a rough couple of days. But, yeah, uh, 20 grand if you want in the lower bowl for Friday. There you go. That's no joke. Yeah, that's no joke. That's no joke. 20 grand, that's, that's a good little chunk. You know, that's what they – once you start to get into, like, what they find NBA players range, that's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a pretty spicy ticket. I, I don't know if I, I got that to just splash around. But 5Gs, I – yeah. Not to make light of 5Gs. I'm just saying that if you're just a diehard fan who hasn't seen your team ever play in a Stanley Cup, yeah. I feel like there should be almost uh, like, you know, ride sharing with Uber where it's like, hey, my I get a period, my friend yeah. gets a period, and, yeah. and then my other friend gets a period. And we get to divide this between the three of us. Like the usher comes. It's like it, actually, it's an honor system. If you want to screw over your friends in the rideshare yeah. system, if you're first, like there's actually a little bit more expensive for first period because of the just weight you have, where you might have to pay them out. But I, I would like a system like that for the for the regulars amongst us. The the initial thought I had was like, well, that you would totally obviously want the third period, right? Like, you would, you'd kill for the third period. That Whoever got the third period would have to pay, like, 80% of the ticket price. But on second mm-hmm. thought, like, the chance of it being a blowout, maybe you just want that first period of game one, the, the excitement, the initial mm-hmm. excitement, where hope is all in front of you, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, either way, I don't think it's going to work out. I think that to, to what we all definitely know is that second period would have to cost the least. Yes. <laughs> Second period is the least cost. You'd just be like, yep, you get the middle. You're just here as a buffer giving us cash for the first and third. <laughs> and then there'd have to be something over overtime. Because then, you know when people say, like, free baseball, then now we're really talking. Free stuff is good for these guys who and girls who have paid for the the rideshare playoff program. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm sneaky excited for the Stanley Cup final tonight. I got to say that. I, I just have I have a rooting interest. Like I'll be rooting for Tampa Bay as though they are my team. And I I know some people look at that and say it's a negative. It's you're so negative for not rooting for the Canadian team. It's toxic. It's great. It's actually so great. I'm so thrilled that we have a rooting interest in this thing. Um, I think it's fun. I think it's going to be really really fun to either watch the Montreal Canadiens basically 
wipe the city of Toronto sports off the map. Like almost <laughs> some fans, obviously, if you're not a Leafs fan, but I was thinking about stuff this morning of like, if Montreal wins the Stanley Cup, does it just like erase the Raptors championship in terms of happiness? Is it just gone? Do we like we have to go back and look at the Raptors championship and just be like, we used to have this thing and this was cool. Blue Jays become so much more important to distract people. Like what if Blue Jays go in the tank right after Montreal wins the Stanley yeah. Cup? Like sports is just going to be in a tough place for a while here if Montreal Canadiens well, win the Stanley Cup. Not only that, oh man, I actually just thought of this, but the idea of the Tampa Bay Rays being a Montreal team very soon, at least 50% of them mm. leading the division. The Blue Jays with six games upcoming against the division leaders that could be the Montreal Rays. Mm. Yeah, there's a there's a lot riding I don't on think those games the all of a sudden. I don't think they'd be the Montreal Rays. It's not a Utah Jazz situation where the name yeah. is so cool you got to keep it. Like, Rays. Mm. Oh, we can get rid of that, actually. Oh. That would <laughs> <We> actually... Can... <laughs> that would... Because they st- they're playing 50% of their games in Tampa still. So imagine they change the name to the Expos and they're just the Tampa Bay Expos. Those <laughs> yeah. poor people in Tampa yeah. have to go to the Trop to watch the Tampa Bay Expos who play the second half, the most important part of their season in Montreal. I think, first of all, uh, they should just call them the Montreal Eventuallys <laughs> because yeah. that's what it would be <laughs> if they start playing 50% of the games there. And two is... The whole point is that you don't feel bad for Tampa fans because they're actually one of those fan bases that just never went to the baseball games and didn't care. And so they even tried to put an aquarium in there for you guys, and you still wouldn't go. We put ours beside our baseball stadium, not inside of it. We're purists. We're purists. We would never. So, yeah, I, 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 I would have really, like, when it would come to sympathy rankings, it would be pretty low for the Tampa Bay Rays, I got to say. Although, ask me again once I saw the viral videos that would eventually happen of dad's video filming their kids going, mm-hmm. does it make you sad that the Rays are going to leave Tampa? And the kid obviously cries on cue and then goes on Ellen. Oh, well. Actually, not Ellen Dickie anymore. B. That's canceled. Where do they go uh, now? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, Who will yeah, take up w- the mantle? Uh, me. Uh, I don't want to see Dickie V cry. So yeah, I I, I yeah. don't care. I don't care about the three-year-old uh, who it was given a, a raise hat for his first birthday. I care about Dickie V, who is an actual mm-hmm. dyed-in-the-wool Tampa Bay Rays fan. Sure. But uh, yeah, game one, Stanley Cup final tonight. What are you most interested in? The goalies. And some people just don't care about the goalies. It's just not even a... They're an afterthought. They'll be thinking about Braden Point versus Deneau and Shea Weber battling through his injuries and Hedman and Stamkos' redemption tour and Kucherov's health and whether how he'll hold up in a series like this. I get it. It's, they're, they're all fascinating to me, but I think that when it comes to a legacy narrative, which I always love in big games, right? Like, not only do I want to see the best players, the best players are the ones where I know I'll be talking about them for years to come. And to me, the goaltenders are fascinating in this series. And it's actually like, I don't want to say an underrated storyline, but I I do think that it's been just a little overlooked how important winning could be to either of these goaltenders. Like, Vasilevsky already has one. He already has a Stanley Cup. He'd be a back-to-back Stanley Cup champion at the age of 26 who also has a Vesna trophy 
who also just won a game seven with a shutout, albeit I think it was like less than 20 saves against the Islanders, but that still goes up on your resume, a shutout yep. in a game seven in a pretty yep. serious way. And I started thinking like this whole Carey Price is the goalie of his generation thing, it doesn't go away because I think that that's kind of already done. But for a large part is that Carey Price never really had a true great goaltending rival. Like Bobrovsky was really good across from Carey Price, but he always had flameouts in the playoffs. And I think he'll be remembered more for being the guy that was the tipping point for not giving goaltenders in their 30s big contracts to, right? Like, I'm sorry, but that, that's going to be the thing with Bob. Um, more than it's going to be beating Tampa Bay after that season. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist, who was like really, really, really good. Hall of Famer, no doubt about it. But same thing, like wasn't racking up Vesna's. It never really felt like there was a rivalry between those two guys, maybe year to year. Like when Carey Price was in his prime of primes, the, if you go through and you look at like the guys who were winning Vesna trophies, it's not exactly like he was ever battling one guy for that award. It was never like he was battling one guy for who was the best goaltender on the planet. It was kind of like a bunch of different guys at different points, and they've been really, really good. Like Pekka Rene won one, and I think Pekka is, was an awesome goaltender, and he probably gets a little missed with history because he was in Nashville, and he also had the playoff demon thing. But there's no really one guy. All of a sudden, Vasilevsky has this, like, passing of the torch moment with Price where we just kind of have to acknowledge and go like, hey, this is actually the guy. This is actually the goaltender you want. And he weirdly gets more into Martin Brodeur discussions in the sense of, well, this guy's only 26. Now he's got two cups. He's got a Vesna. If he can put together one or two more of those, we'll be having debates someday about, was this guy one of the all-time greats? How much did his team play a factor in this, in the way that we perceive him, and blah, 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 blah. But either way, like, he gets that, and he's got those three awards already with the potential to win a Conn Smythe in this series, right? Like, that's not off the table for Vasilevsky. Then you've got Price. I think that this award is sneaky important for Carey Price's legacy. And I know that that almost sounds dumb. You go, really, you think the Stanley Cup is important? for a guy's legacy to win a cup? Of course, but this is what I'm saying about Carey Price. He has one Vesna trophy, one Jennings trophy. Carey Price has had two years in a row where we've been doing conversations about, is Carey Price washed? He turns 34, like, I believe in a month. It's pretty soon. His 34th yeah. birthday is rapidly approaching. We were doing conversations about, could Carey Price be a Seattle Kraken someday? We've had multiple years where we've had discussions of, is Carey Price done? He was more of a supernova than I think a lot of people want to admit. When you look at his career as a whole, because we were doing this, right, is he's the best goalie in the NHL today. And in a clutch game situation, we had all this stuff about Hellebuck, and we've had all these different stories of who's the best guy that you'd want in a clutch situation. And, and I think that these playoffs have still proven that Carey Price is the man. And we've done this. Carey Price is the man. Carey Price is the man. It's why the players pick him. It's why he is who he is. When he's at the top of his game, I don't trust anyone more. There's just a calmness and a coolness to him that I really do believe extends to his teammates. He's been unassailably great in the postseason. If you go through his playoffs year over year, I think he's had one where it wasn't very good in like 2013. One 
tough playoffs where his save percentage was sub 900 and they got bounced in uh, uh, in short order. Other than that, you can make the case that he's been the best player on every single one of his teams that he's been on when he's been the starting goaltender, right? They've been his teams. Yep. But at the end of all of this, if he loses this Stanley Cup and he goes into his age 34 season where the Canadians go back into a division where there's going to be the Bruins and this Lightning team that they'll be facing for a cup finals and uh, revamped Toronto Maple Leafs team. Haha, I know, but still, like, they're going to be talented and good in the regular season. They'll probably get into the playoffs. The Florida Panthers, like, it's not going to be in just a layup that they even get in the postseason next year. It's not going to be a layup that Carey Price plays a full season. This is someone who's dealt with injuries for a very, very long time. That we might look back at Carey Price's career as... That guy was a really, really good goaltender who deserved better because his teams were not as good as they should have been for a lot of seasons, where we'll always remember Chris Kreider crashing into the net and robbing him potentially of a Stanley Cup final. But ultimately, he could go down as a guy with one Vesna trophy and a Stanley Cup finals appearance. And I think that puts him closer to Henrik Lundqvist than it does the Martin Brodeurs of the world. But if he wins the Stanley Cup, which then basically automatically guarantees him a Conn Smythe, and you all of a sudden have those two things in your on your mantle, I think Carey Price is going to go down fairly or unfairly because like you can look at those other guys' trophy cases and they're much deeper. But I think that he will go down as the... Hey, it was, uh, it was Martin, or, or sorry, it was Patrick Roy, and then it was Dom Hasek, and then it was Martin Brodeur, and then it was Carey Price, and I think that it just becomes like sealed in carbonite, and we're done with that. And if he doesn't yeah. win it, it's a little bit more up for debate, and it'll be something that Habs fans will be furious about if you ever bring up, but people will look at and have kind of the stats to back it up and say, well, I'm sorry, but. Here's the facts when you compare him to those all-time greats is that his resume just does not stack up. It's true because, yeah, nobody's going to debate the Carey Price, the first ballot Hall of Famer. Like, clearly no, going course. to the Hall of Fame if his career... This is not a Carey Price is no. like, we're going to remember him as he sucked or he's great. No, no. no. This is just a discussion of this win takes Carey Price into a stratosphere that I think a lot of people already give him credit for being in when in actuality he is not when you look at the resume. Yeah, because he had the one, like, out-of-this-world season yep. uh, where he won everything, and he was on an incredible pace in that postseason run before Chris Kreider ran him over. Yep. But other than that, you're right. The conversation has rightly been, and sorry to say, that he is properly compensated but impossible to succeed in a cap world where your goaltender is making over $10 million. And for the first time since he's received that contract, we're forgetting about it. And if they win a cup, it's all worth it. doesn't matter if he sucks the rest of the, the contract. doesn't matter. Uh, flags fly forever, as they say. But everybody else that is in that pantheon, that's what, like, Bill Simmons does his pyramids, right, of the Hall of Fame. This is what we're talking about. It's like... Hall of Fame, but are you in the same echelon as the very top guys in the Hall of Fame? And I think most people have one of two guys or three guys at the top of that thing, and that's Dominic Hasek, that's Patrick Waugh, and that's Martin Brodeur. And it's going to take probably another season of doing this to get into that echelon. But, like, are you in the one just below it with, like, your No, but Ed I think Belfors? he gets in that group with this win. 
Like with he gets win. in that group with this win. Stanley Cup, Conn Smythe, he gets those two things. And we start to go, maybe he does have the two cups if it's not for the injury. Maybe he does have like the different, like uh, the clutchness, the Team Canada-ness. Like there's, yeah. there's some things here where you can start building more of a case for Carey Price, the team, all that stuff that, that are a little different. But I'm glad you brought up the contract because that's another part of it. And I wasn't going to discuss it because I think it's like now we're trending into the hot take territory. But it's true. Is that and, – and we already did this with Shea Weber. So Montreal yeah. fans should be especially cautious about writing guys off before it actually happens and just like projecting outwards. But, yeah, we've had two seasons in a row where Carey Price has not looked like Carey Price in the regular season. And he's been able to like do the LeBron James thing where we go – yeah, but we'll see. Playoffs, playoffs, and then he actually does flip the switch. Mm-hmm. And he's great in the playoffs. He was great against the Penguins last year. He's been great this entire run this season. But if they do lose, um, as it stands right now, his cap hit of 10.5 running through, what is it, age 34 through age 38 seasons, mm-hmm. there's potential there that I don't believe it'll ever get like super ugly because he's just built up so much equity there. His nickname was Jesus Price, for God's sake. <laughs> but um, I, I do think that there's potential for people going, oh, there's multiple seasons of onerous Carey Price. Yeah. Man, that, that was the conversation around him before this, of course. right? And and rightly so, because the numbers have not been there during the regular season. If he had had a better and more healthy regular season, maybe the Montreal Canadiens aren't finishing fourth in the North Division. All the questions that were rightly surrounding that team going into a playoff series against the Toronto Maple Leafs, maybe they're not there if they get adequate goaltending. Again, like the health was a big part of it. But this is there's there's a lot on the line for him because while the questions dissipate this year because getting to a Stanley Cup is is already gravy. The idea that this is going to be a recurring thing while there's some good young players on this team, mm-hmm. how much of, of their success has been built around some of the aged ones and not even the guys on one-year deals, the Shea Webers of the world. Like how how much longer can you expect this yeah. one to, to, to last for the Montreal Canadiens? See, I, I look at it the other way for Montreal where it's like you're, every team has vets. Every team has those questions of how long is something going to last with guys. Leafs have their like jo- Leafs have John Tavares. He's making eleven million dollars into his thirties now, and yeah, it was a defensive season or whatever for John, and that worked. And I think that was great. But there is going to be a are you going to be able to perform like an eleven million dollars center question, and the the young guy question marks filling out the roster are pretty big. As of right now, with Montreal, you go who cares because Cole Caulfield, you're going to get full seasons, three full seasons of that guy on a rookie contract, and you found out that he's already just a big game stud. Same with Nick Suzuki. Like, you, your young players are showing you, Kotkaniemi, your young guys are showing you that they're far more capable, talented, whatever, valuable, than you thought going into the postseason. So, like, yeah, are you going to have Corey Perry forever? No, but he's a fringe player. You know what you can do? You can go out and find another winner who's going to want to play around young guys in a big market where there's success. Or maybe it's Corey Perry again playing their role of Jason Spezza. Maybe, but I'm just saying I don't really care about the length of what you can get from some of these veterans. Like, Price is obviously special. Shea Weber is obviously very important. 
but a bunch like most of Montreal's team is not like, oh, and they're going to all evaporate into dust. There's like a couple of guys. They don't care. They'll replace Eric Stahl with another guy who can do what Eric Stahl is doing right now. The main thing is, is that you might have two superstar young players. And we didn't know that's what you had, but all of a sudden it's you might have two bona fide blue chip. Jeff Merrick compared Nick Suzuki to Patrice Bergeron the other day. Like, I'm not ready to do that. I'm not with Jeff quite there. But I will say this is that the kid now has stacked together a playoff resume along with his junior resume where you go pretty unassailable that he doesn't care about the moment that, like, if anything, he can rise to it at a young age. And we've seen, like, Marner did it and then he didn't. We've talked about you can be a non-choker and then a choker, but I just don't see it with that guy. Anyway, I, I just think Montreal's in a great spot. But, yeah, this is... Sneaky important for Carey Price. Um, and and it always sounds dumb when that comes off my lips when I'm talking about a Stanley Cup being sneaky important to someone. But it is what it is. All right, game one of the Cup Finals tonight. Taking a break from tearing down the Nassau Coliseum brick by brick is our pal, Justin Bourne, who joins us on a Monday, as he always does. What's going on, Bourne? Oh, not too much. Just uh, excited to have hockey back. Two nights without hockey. It's not a good feeling. Are you um, already negotiating with your wife about how much of your basement is going to be stuff from the Coliseum? Right. <laughs> you know what? I spent a little time thinking, like, where can you put the arena seats? I honestly yeah. did spend time on this. And, like, I got to be honest, guys, and this is going to hurt some feelings out there. Like, I, I just – I don't think it's cool. Like, it doesn't work. Wow, They're not I comfortable disagree. seats. I disagree. So disagree. Yeah, yeah like yeah. that's the that that's a you know what you're usually a guy who has great takes and so we don't usually push back and we just go wow another great take from Bourne why can't we think of things this way I I used to work as a mover during the summers yeah. still one of the coolest things like I've ever seen is guys being like I remember one guy who had seats from old Maple Leaf Gardens where he was like, these are from when the Leafs won a cup and I have them in my... He was rich, so I mean, yeah. this is a different kind of cool factor, but it's like, he had I do them. want to clarify something before you go on. Yeah. If you're rich, everything's cool? No. <laughs> is that, it, but, would, it would have to be in lieu of a comfortable seating spot in my house, in which case it's not cool. You're right. If yeah. you have space somewhere just to put them and look at them, it's cool. Yeah, you're not putting them in your living room and people yeah, come over and they this. sit down there. They're they're Just a basement. Put it against the wall. Like yeah, they're a basement. About. No one really sits in them unless you have an excess of people over, which in go at this going rate, that'll never happen again. We're done with yeah. that. We're done with parties where you can show them off in your Zoom. <laughs> you go, look, yeah. chairs from the Coliseum. <laughs> uh, it's pretty cool, right? In the Zoom, yeah. you'll go, yeah, that's amazing. That's a good one. So Yeah, it, uh, I was just going to say, last thing on that. Um, no one's ever, or it's very rarely happened, that people regret buying the memorabilia. The only regret comes from not buying the memorabilia. So I would get something born. Maybe that's a brick, though. Yeah, no, I definitely want to have something. I, and I agree. It's just like, I, I live in a small place here. Like, I know you live in, like, Timmins or whatever it is, Ben, so you probably have a big spacious uh, complex to put stuff, but I don't, I don't have much room here. Ben lives in a townhouse with uh, two kids where the whole house is like their stuff. It's like, he's got little corners where he's like, this is where I sit. It's like, this is, he's, he's Michael Scott in that episode of The Office where he's like the little mini TV and you go over to his house and he, he's like, I could just stand here for hours. That's Ben in his house. Is That's about what amount of space he's got. Not incorrect. Yeah, no. So, yeah, that's about, that's All right, so Ben, it. you can relate. There's yeah. no room it, to just like lean stuff against the wall for when you no. need it. Like but that's his valuable space. Yeah. We got a crawl space. I put it yeah, in the crawl space. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You put it up there. Okay, so I started today's show, Born, with, um, which is either ah, the dumbest, most obvious take, 
or something that's actually semi-nuanced, and, and I want you to weigh in on it, which is Ben asked me what I'm most interested in in the Stanley Cup final, and I told him it's the goaltenders. And I know that for the most part, if you listen to the show, you know I'm interested in goalies. I care deeply about the position, and so you automatically would look at that surface value and say, like, oh, yeah, duh, JD cares about the goalies, and it's Carey Price, and it's Vasilevsky, duh, 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 duh. But the, the point I made is... If Vasilevsky wins, that's back-to-back Stanley Cups for a goalie who's 26 years old and who already has a Vesna trophy under his belt, and that he is actually tracking to be the next quote-unquote Martin Brodeur, where we go, this guy racked up tons of awards. Like, you don't think Vasilevsky's going to win another Vesna in his career? Like, it's going to happen. Like, 100%. Vasilevsky is not going down with one Vesna award trophy. And we can be at some point debating how good his teams were, but ultimately that guy's resume is going to speak for itself, and he could go down as the goalie of his generation. And for Carey Price, that, yes, Stanley Cups are immeasurably important for legacies and careers, but Carey's trophy case is actually pretty thin when it comes to the NHL, and it's something that we never really talk about. He's got one Vesna, he's got one Jennings, which again, if you go through, is like, you know who has those trophies? Like one of them? Pekka Rene, Braden Holtby. Holtby actually has a Stanley Cup. Like, no one would ever argue that those guys were better than Carey Price, but at the end of this, if he loses, you kind of look at his resume in totality and you say, well, you know, um, his contract was something that was pretty onerous at the end of his career. Maybe it blocks Montreal from doing some things. He never won a Stanley Cup because he's 34 years old, and you got to imagine it's going to be very, very difficult to get back into this position. And we say, hey, actually, you know what? Carey Price was more of a supernova who was amazing in the playoffs that had some bad luck with injuries, and especially the one against the Rangers. But comparing him to the all-time greats is pretty unfair. Ben said, like, what's more likely is he ends up in, like, the top-end guy category with, like, the Eddie Belfours of the world, right? Where you go, like, great goalie, but not one of the all-time greats. Whereas if he wins a cup, he mm-hmm. definitely wins a con Smythe. And now he adds those two things to the trophy case. All of a sudden, his career has been completely elongated in terms of him being a winner. And now we actually do the thing where you go, well, he was on bad teams and he still won a Stanley Cup. This cup means more than anything that a Brodeur would have ever won, blah, 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 blah. He's actually in that tier of goaltenders. He's on the, you know, last 25 years Mount Rushmore unassailably. Am I making too big a deal of this? What do you think? No, you're on to something really good there. This is... um. I agree with you. You know, the guy I thought of the whole time you were kind of summing up Carey Price's career is Roberto Luongo. It's like the exact same thing to me where it's like an all-time, you know, one of the the better goalies while he played, was an obvious starter, you know, was in the Olympics, never quite got over the hump to win a Stanley Cup. He, did Luongo never won of Esna, huh? No, it's wild. No, Remember, there were all Vesna's. these years, there were all those years where everyone discussed how he yeah. should have won a Vesna because he was on these bad teams and he was facing 40 shots a night, but that he never won one, actually. Yeah. Always the bridesmaid. So, so yeah, I, I think that leaves him and Price's careers fairly comparable if they go down in, you know, five games here or something like that to Tampa Bay in terms of, like, an all-time great who just never got over the hump and yada yada. But yes, you're right. If he if he wins this, that is uh, that does change the conversation around him. Um, you know, obviously it turns him into an auto Hall of Famer. Um, I'm not sure if he is. Is is he a Hall of Famer if he doesn't Jerry win a Price? cup here? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Think so. I think there's just yeah. no way that he doesn't get in. Yeah, because the the case is going to be pretty simple. Like if you look at, yeah, his well. I actually don't know if it is that simple, but he will get in. He will get the votes. Uh, 
there's pro- I just don't see a person voting against Carey Price not getting in the Hall of Fame who lives in this country, you know? Like, it's just <laughs> hard for me to wrap my mind large. around it. Yeah, but you know what? The Luongo one is sneaky more of a – that's what I'm saying. Is like I think if you ask most Montreal fans, right, who love Carey Price, there's no doubt that you compare those two players and they'd lose their minds. Like, they would yeah. lose their minds and saying, how dare you compare those two guys? But you're right. Luongo in his prime, young, like when Carey Price racked up his Vesna, like, they were pretty comparable in terms of, like, we were talking about them as the best goaltender on the planet. And then as they got older, it was like, they're very, very good, um, but not the best in their field if you're looking big at it contracts. from just a pure number standpoint, big contracts, all those things. The difference is that Price got more cracks at it in the postseason and has had more success there. I guess, although Luongo, like, he was there in the pump and the tires. They, like, they went to one cup final, just right, like Carey like, Price here. Maybe you know? this is the perfect analogy. Is like, he's just, like, slightly he was in a better market than Roberto Luongo, and that that's what we do. Man, there's some Habs fan right now who's furious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Toronto what? radio what? show being like, is he better than Luongo? But it's like, no, it's a fair comparison. But that's what I mean. Is like, this is actually huge for a goaltender who we speak with such <laughs> reverence in this country. Like, we do. Like, there's something about Carey Price where it's like, hey, you don't say anything bad about Carey Price. Like, you don't. Even the people who do it, like, when they're like, hey, is Carey Price maybe not the guy he used to be? Because the last two years in the regular season, he hasn't been. People just like players and media members, like they'll just call you stupid automatically because they say he's still the best goalie in the NHL, even though there isn't that much evidence outside of this cup run <laughs> to support that over the last two years. How about this? How about this? Uh, Carey Price's career goals against is 2.5. Luongo's 2.52. Uh, Carey mm-hmm. Price's career save percentage, 917. Luongo's 919. Yeah. So, you know, the numbers are almost identical. And so how many games played for Luongo? Luongo has 1,044 career games played, and Price is on 707. That's what I mean. It's like he's got a ways to go before he well, can that's, lock that's up the, the Luongo. Yeah, is it is it even is one cup enough to put him into that top yes. upper echelon of because Hasek, market Broder, matters and and Wah. Yeah, Hasek has two cups, six Vesnas, a couple of hearts. Broder with the three cups, four Vesnas. Wah with four cups, three Vesnas, three Consmice, or is he? Do you put Belfour in there? Because Belfour has the cup. He also has no. two Vesnas. I mean, you just stack the awards up against guys. each other. Wow, guys, Luongo's playoff uh, save percentage is 918. He was legit yeah. in the playoffs. No, Luongo Price was really is good. Yeah. No, dude, Luongo was great. And he's also won the most important gold medal in the history of gold medals. Was like, Price on like, the bench then? Uh, well, it was like him and Broder, but I think, yeah... Or in the stand, he maybe Price wasn't even involved in that team. I don't remember. No, yeah, sure I actually don't know who the third I, goalie is on that team right, right now. Like my my brain always wants to tell me that every year the third goalie was like Marty Turco. <laughs> 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 it's like Marty Turco is always the third goalie. Like for every yeah. team Canada, like that was it. Or like yeah, that that. But I I, I actually don't know that off the top of my head. Either I way, I think that. Yeah, that's what we're discussing here is that this is a real pivot point towards closer to Roberto Luongo territory as a like all-time good goaltender, all-time like in his generation one of the best, but not definitively the best. If he wins this, it's definitive. Like the thing that separates him from all those other guys. Like this is the list of dudes that have won Vesna trophies. I had this up. Yeah, the list of dudes who won Vesnas across from like Carey Price's quote-unquote like prime, right? Tuka Rask, good. Braden Holtby, good. 
Bobrovsky, Pekka Rene. Like, that's not a murderer's row of guys that, you know, Justin Bourne's going to tell his son about someday. Right. You like, should have seen Sergei Bobrovsky. Right. Like, I, I, that, that's what I mean, is that he yeah. wasn't going against, he never had, like, a true rival, but I wonder if he just kind of goes into a mix of, like, hey, there's a lot of really good goalies at this time, and Carey Price was the best goalie on the team that mattered the most. I wonder what it is we're not touching on right now that sums up how everyone feels about Carey Price. It, you know, is it his stoic manner? Yes. Maybe the way that his, maybe his peak, like peak Carey Price when he is on is better than anyone else by a good distance. Maybe maybe it's that his regular seasons were kind of half mailed in, but you knew he could do it when it mattered. I don't know. I don't know no, what we're it, missing, but you're right. You can't say anything about the guy. You know what it is? To me, it's actually pretty simple. When you look across from all those other guys, it was like Bobrovsky was a playoff choker. Holt B, it was always like, are you going to be the guy that's holding back the Capitals? Like, Didn't Carey start Price... the postseason for that Capitals no. Cup run. Mm-hmm. Right. This is it. Is that with all those other guys, like maybe less with Bobrovsky, but with some of the other ones, like Pekka Rene, same thing, like playoff choker, right? But his team was good enough that they were always there and that they were like expected to win with Carey Price's Canadians it's usually been hey this team sucks but they have Carey Price and so they can win a game and that if Carey Price does something wrong which he hasn't really then it's almost like well what are you supposed to do like how was he ever supposed to win with that team like his expectations are so different but also he's the one guy who doesn't have like in that group anyways, the Pekka Rene collapses, the Braden Holtby not starting the playoffs, the Marc-Andre Fleury, like, not being, like, actually getting shipped to a different team because they didn't have the faith that he could win in the big moments. Like, Carey Price, out of all those guys, is definitely the dude that has the stoicism, has the personality, has the gravitas of this is someone you want in net during a big game. And I think that we would all agree with that. Like, out of every goaltender from his, like, generation, right, that there's mm-hmm. nobody you'd rather have in a big game than him. Like, you're going right, to take – it's, it's him and Lundqvist, right? Like, that's who it would be. And I would rather another have very interesting comparable guy without a Stanley Cup who yep. was wonderful. Anyway. <laughs> but that's <laughs> yeah. it. It's like market matters a lot with Carey Price. Like, yeah. I do believe Carey Price would be – Still revered no matter where he played. I think we would still talk about him as one of the league's best goaltenders, obviously. We would still be talking about him as Mr. Clutch no matter what team he played on. Maybe he actually has a Stanley Cup if he plays on a better team at this point. But, yeah, as of right now, um, we have given Carey Price a little bit too much that when it's all said and done, if he doesn't win a Stanley Cup, we might backtrack on a couple of takes. Like, a lot of it is, like, unquantifiable with Price, and that's cool, and I'll always remember those things, but he, I think he needs a little bit more of the quantifiable to, to actually enter the tier that a lot of people believe he's already in. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is he may be trying to enter the tier which Vasilevsky is either right. already in or that's seems I mean. to be headed towards. Yeah. Dude, he's, what is he on pace to do? Like, the greatest of all time at 26, winning back-to-back Stanley Cups? He could win the Vesna this year. I'm going to put a poll on my Twitter account. Uh, who do you think – who would you rather have start for your team in the Stanley Cup final, Price or Vasilevsky? What are the numbers going to come back? Mm, Price will win, but it won't be that – like your – I feel like your Twitter account has enough of like Canadian. hockey Twitter. No, it's going to be more Canadian, but I also feel like there's going to be enough people on there that 
do say, well, why wouldn't I pick the guy who actually has a Stanley Cup right, and who's been right. better more recently and who's coming off of a shutout in a Game 7 as well um, to, to be my guy? Like, I don't think it'll be as, like, tilted as, say, if, you know, Eric Engels does it. <laughs> That's like, yeah, be like right. 80%. This is what I always find so funny about these polls. Like, I saw one the other day where it was a baseball writer who was like, what are you watching tonight? Like, baseball or Stanley Cup playoffs or NBA? <laughs> yeah. And then, like, it was like 68% baseball. And then he, like, like what did we learn? It being like, yeah, and he, but, but he was like, awesome, like, or like eyeballs emoji. Like, a lot of people are watching baseball, huh? It's like, yeah, the people who follow you on Twitter who like baseball. <laughs> Shocker of shockers are watching baseball. So anyway, I think the goaltender is the most interesting thing in the postseason. And yeah, I think that we're, because he's in Tampa Bay, and this is what we do, we're looking at this thing from more of like a, wow, Carey Price's legacy, when in actuality, what we could be looking at here is the next great goaltender is... Like, we always talk about Tampa Bay, like, they're so stacked, and they've got this thing where they've manipulated the cap, and it's because they're so deep, and they roll three lines, and they've got this blue line, and they've got Hedman, and I I really do feel like Vasilevsky falls, like, sort of deep on the depth chart of narrative guys, or Mm -hmm. credit guys at times. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in Tampa they feel differently, or other shows feel differently, but that's just my personal sense of it. If it's you... What what are you most interested in in this series? Is it is it now that did I sway you? Is it something else? <laughs> no, yeah, I've got a couple things. Um, first and foremost is the the Bolts power play versus the Montreal penalty kill. The Montreal penalty kill has been impossibly good. Like I mean, impossibly good. I th- I still think they're plus. They're like plus one in the playoffs on the penalty kill, which is mind-blowing. Uh, that That is a lot on the back of the man we've been talking about, Carey Price, whose save percentage on the PK is just unheard of. Um, but also the teams they've played in the postseason, their, their, their power plays have been pretty feeble. You know, Vegas looked anemic and give Montreal credit there, but like Tampa has the best power play in hockey, uh, assuming Kucherov's healthy. So much runs through Kucherov in terms of you know, the slide to, to point in the middle or the one-timer to Hedman or across the seam to Stamkos. Like, they need him uh, playing. So if he's there, I'm, I'm very eager to watch that battle. The other one is uh, Montreal's forecheck against Tampa's breakouts, which, you know, a, a I say a lot of the success of Montreal has been slowing down the other team coming out of their own end, so there's no rush chances coming against them. Um, you know, are they able to do that against a Tampa team that is not one line deep, but is two and three and four lines deep and kind of keep coming? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, uh, a lot of the way people expect the series to play out is them trying to do what the Islanders were capable of doing for almost seven games, and they did it really in game seven. They only allowed one goal. The question that we've asked. Shorthanded, too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the question that we've kind of bandied about here is if we're talking about two teams playing a similar style in the Islanders and Montreal Canadiens, who plays it better? Are you there, Bourne? Hello. Bourne's gone. My case remains. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Who plays it better? It's that you. I actually think that I think that the Islanders play it better. That they have like a better actual like forward group. But if you're asking me about like what really matters, it's having the goalie and also the blue line. And I feel like if you are playing that style where you're trying to keep guys out uh, and like do not come to the front of the net. There's no defenseman I'd rather have in the playoffs than Shea Weber because I just think he's the nastiest and he's the toughest guy that's there. And, like, I'd rather have Victor Hedman overall, like, duh. But I'm just saying when comparing them to the Islanders, I'd rather have Shea Weber for this style than anything else. 
And I'd rather have Carey Price in net. And so, yeah, they might be a better team overall, but like, I just feel like at the end of it, the execution is going to be better for the Habs because of who they have at the most important two spots. You know, it's almost like they flip where the, they will receive the physicality if you're Tampa Bay, because against yeah. the Islanders, you received the physicality, uh, the defenseman received it. They went back on pucks. They got hit by Clutterbuck, Sezikis, and Martin. Uh, you know, and really all the way through the Isles lineup, they finished checks. So the, the D received it. You're right. In this series, it's going to be the forwards who deal with it because it's it's Weber and Sherratt and Edmondson and those guys that'll where you'll get the toughness. So I actually think Tampa's pretty well built to handle that. Maybe better built on the for, on the forward end with you know Kalorn and Coleman and Gaudreau and even like Point as a physical guy, Yanni Gord. Like a lot of those guys can handle it. Whereas their D, they've got you know Tampa's D is is not small, but they're not necessarily bruisers. So I actually think they're fairly well equipped to deal with a, a heavy Montreal defense. I think that this series, again, like Tampa should be heavily heavy favorites and part of our like part of us being reserved in that take is that Montreal has been underdogs in three straight series and so everyone now is kind of on guard of like not wanting to overlook them but I agree with what you just said that that all if I remember Bieksa I think it was Bieksa did a uh, a video pack of the Islanders making sure that they were hitting Kucherov a lot and how it was like, look at this, like Kucherov hit, Kucherov hit. Like they never leave him alone. And if I'm Montreal, like the very first shift that Shea Weber has with Kucherov, it's like I'm going lumber in the spine if he comes anywhere near the net and being like, and that's the end of that. And now yeah. we don't have that guy in this series. And like, yeah. what now? <laughs> like I just, I really, I, I'm curious to see how healthy Kucherov is and like whether he can go to danger areas when Shea Weber like the nastiest dude in hockey is on the ice and is like, I'm, I'm going to hurt you. And I know people hate hearing that, but I don't mean like he's trying to injure him. I just mean he's trying to hurt him. Like that's part of the sport. And if there's one guy I don't want trying to hurt me in hockey, it's that guy. It's Shea Weber. Yeah. Well, it's so, so funny that like, you know, you can't, we're not supposed to talk about the things that the guys are talking about in the dressing room, but like mm-hmm. Kucherov is fragile right now. Not, yes. not that he's a fragile player, but he's like, something's not right. And so you definitely want to put that hesitancy in his mind. Like, it sucks to go to that part of the rink. So, yeah, you're, you're going to give him a couple, and that's what the team's talking about. We're not trying to advocate for anyone getting hurt, but I'm telling you that's what the team's talking about. And, you know, to that effect, uh, at the end of the last series against Montreal, I said, I can't believe how little Carey Price has had to deal with in his blue paint. Like, you can't tell me that Montreal would have, uh, would not, if Montreal were playing Carey Price, that Gallagher wouldn't have been in his face, that Corey Perry wouldn't. I mean, that's a guy you got to disrupt a little. If I'm Tampa Bay's forwards, I'm making a point of getting to the blue paint. Not saying I'm going to crush the goalie, but I might fall on him. I might dig for a couple of pucks a little bit here and there. That's a guy that you need to focus on. No, it's absolutely true. And yeah, Carey Price is going to win the Conn Smythe if they win this thing. But it's And he's had some spectacular moments, but it's not the reliance on him that I think anybody that if uh, you took a poll a month ago when the Leafs were up 3-1 on the Montreal Canadiens, you're like, they're going to get to a cup final. You're like, well, Carey Price did something out of this world that's never been done before. He's been very good, but not otherworldly like we would have thought he would have to be. But you, you hit on on something that I think is one of the things I'm going to be most interested in. And it's something that's been talked about routinely in both of the the semifinal series was the officiating like if it's a 
If it's a tight whistle, that obviously sucks. That, that by the way, that you're saying that for the NHL, like that sucks. But it's, like they it's hate true, that. man. Like like you said it, Bourne, like the power play, and yes, let's see if Montreal's incredible PK can stand up against one of the all-time great power plays in recent history in the NHL. But if it's a tight whistle, you got to favor the Lightning. If it's anything like the whistle that we saw in the Vegas-Montreal series, I mean, it plays right into Montreal's hands. Yeah, I, I'm curious. I actually suspect it's going to be a bit of a tighter whistle. Like we're, but for the idea that we've been talking about it too much, you know, like they they have a chance to set a new standard and say, hey, we're calling some penalties here. Uh, it, you know, they got away from it in the middle of the last series. But I, I agree with you both in that it is relevant, but also it sucks that we're talking about it. Yeah, I I've already made my position clear, which is like. I, I prefer it this way than the other way around. And who do no, you think the league I would think, want to win? Who do I think the league wants to win? Yeah. Definitely Tampa Bay because okay. <laughs> Actually, um we talked about this I think with CJ a couple of days ago. Um I brought this up how okay, there's a case we made that the league would be pissed off because Tampa wins because they had kind of like pretty flagrant cap circumvention with the Kucherov <laughs> thing and some people look at that like I think it was Stewie was like he had hip surgery it's a huge deal and I was like I know but he was skating like months before <laughs> he was getting back well like, and I think they it was put a- off getting it until the start of the season right like it was pretty open secret that they handled it the way that they handled it for a reason right cool to win a cup they, they, to, and that that's fine but if Montreal wins, I think that they'll, they're will they probably getting not enough credit for the emergence of their young stars and how good those guys have actually been playing. And that just because they're not, you know, household names in hockey yet um, doesn't mean that they're not just, like, playing as well as anybody else is in the league. Like, this was the whole story of the Vegas series. Is like, we can talk all we want about how Stone didn't perform, how they took the net away. It's like Montreal had top-end firepower, and that's the one thing we didn't think they were going to have. And they have it. They have it now. They really, really, really do. Uh, but I, I do. I think that those guys, Caulfield, and the way that Caulfield and Suzuki are playing right now, and like Toffoli, those three guys are they're just playing great, Bourne. Like they, they yeah. are. They're, they're way better than what we thought Montreal had. But that being said, like in totality, um, if a team as talented and as deep and as loaded and, you know, cap circumventy as the Tampa Bay Lightning loses this series because Montreal can, you know, muck it up and create these ugly hockey games and you can't override that with certain amount of skill. Um, I don't know how the NHL says that that's a good product to have where they yeah. go like anyone can win, but you have to win in an ugly way. That isn't what the direction of the league has actually been trying to establish over the last like five, Hasn't 10 years. Hasn't the message years? already been sent though with them in this cup final with the Islanders having the success that they've had? Like even if they don't win, like kind that of. message is already clear. No. Yes, kind of, but ultimately, like, what you're trying to do, like, just think about the Leafs, where they're saying, we're betting on skill, and we're betting on talent, and we want to have the most talent. And then if the team with the most talent loses to Montreal, (laughs) and they're doing it in a way that you can't replicate it, like, that's the thing, is, like, everyone trying to replicate... No one will ever have that much skill again. That's it. Yeah. This is (laughs) supposedly the most stacked team that we'll ever see in a Stanley Cup final in a cap era. That this is something that the league is like trying to avoid. It's like we all kind of have to sit here at the end of it and, and look back and say, what what have we done? That's yeah, not good. We should no. have that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Uh, you know, I think there's some validation for the league where if you look at 
you know, every year there's a team or two who kind of like grit and defense and veterans itself deep into the playoffs. But you look at who wins cups. You know, Tampa Bay won the cup last year. You know, they played against the Dallas team that was this Montreal team last year and they won the cup. You know, Pittsburgh won the cup a couple years in a row on the backs of Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel. You know, the St. Louis year feels like an anomaly if you look back at the run of Stanley Cups that have been won here. Chicago with its Taves and Canes and those sort of guys. So I think in the end, the moral has been the skill does win out, but like one team does. If you're not super skilled, then yeah, the only way to get there is to Montreal, Dallas, St. Louis, your way there. Yeah. Or maybe that there's multiple ways to uh, skin a cat. You can get all the skill, uh, or you can get all the the team coalescing at the right time and playing that defensive style that the Islanders and the uh, Montreal Canadiens have done. All right, more with Justin Bourne when we return. It's Good Show, Ben Ennis, J.D. Bunkus, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. It's Good Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan, J.D. Bunkus, Justin Bourne, Ben Ennis. Um, it wouldn't be the three of us chatting without bringing something around to the Leafs. So let's do that now in the back half here. Let's do it. Uh, we've already referenced the conversation that we had with CJ, but I want to do another one that I brought up with him, I think last Thursday, which is this growing notion that the Leafs' bottom six is not a problem. And I don't mean like, hey, could they have done better than have Pierre Engvall or... Did the injury to Vara's put them in a weird situation where they had to lean on uh, Kerfoot up the lineup and then go a little bit deeper? Like, Spezza scored a bunch of goals, and he's in their bottom six, so, like, how could it really be a problem? He's coming back. That's a good thing. When I look at these Stanley Cup playoffs and I try to figure out, like, what are the Leafs missing, right? Like, what is it that the Leafs don't have that these other teams have? Well... You know what? Like, they played really great defense this year. I could see them in all of these series. And, like, they were in it with Montreal playing tight games, too. And they looked better than Montreal for the vast majority of that series without one of the most important players, okay? So it's not that. Star talent, I think that they have it. They've got to find a way to unlock a better version of Mitch Marner, or that's going to be a question until he can prove it. And he and Matthews were disappointing, no doubt about it. But I believe the Leafs have it in those two guys. Like, I don't look at the stars of Montreal, like Caulfield and Suzuki and Foley, and say, like, Leafs couldn't have that. They had the goaltending. Jack Campbell was terrific. Um, I don't know if he's a long-term solution still or that the Leafs are set in net, but they were this last year. What they didn't have was when the top end scoring went silent that there was any type of identity down the lineup. The identity was sort of were veterans. Like we have veterans down here. And we had punt, which is a third line that could have possession, um, could play a role where they were the quote-unquote killers of time, but that there was really no identity to that group. And, like, I know this is kind of easy line to draw narrative-wise when there's literally a group called the Identity Line that was just in a conference finals, but that really is what sparked the idea for this, which is Toronto in their bottom six, it actually does matter. And building that right group is going to be extremely important regardless of how much money you're spending up in your top six and regardless of the fact that that top six needs to wear it more than any other group. The problem is is that the bottom six had zero identity. The fact that we didn't know game to game who was going to be in that group, what Spetz's role was going to be, if he was going to be up the lineup, if he should be playing more, how much you could get out of these old veteran players, what exactly you're getting out of Ilya Mikheyev other than like him driving 
the side of the ice and then not doing anything threatening, but also being like defensively responsible, that none of those guys hit in a series where it's like, or in a sport where the more physical you are, the later it gets, the more important it actually becomes, I think is a problem. And that if I'm Kyle Dubas, one of the biggest focuses of the offseason is getting back to something that I think they sneaky knew that they wanted to have at the beginning of the season when they tried to put Hyman down on the third line, but then couldn't keep him there, which is not just having a third line that's like defensively responsible, but having a third line or a fourth line, one of those two, where you know they're going to go out and bang, you know they're going to go out and actually play physical, but also responsible hockey. Yeah, you know, as you're talking about that, I can't help but think of, uh, you know, we talked earlier about Carey Price and how no one's allowed to say, you know, the question him. Um, I feel that way about Wayne Simmons. Um, mm. You know, he was, they were hoping he would be this guy down the lineup that would be physical presence, forecheck, hit. I can't remember him in the playoffs in any meaningful way. He had you know, one good game. He had yeah, one good okay. game. I think it was like game three where he was like really noticeable. But then, yeah, the rest he was pretty, yeah, not. You know, so like that didn't quite pan out. Joe Thornton, you know, because of the Tavares thing, kind of got thrust into a, a situation where probably using him a bit more than you would want to in those situations. Now you're using Kerfoot, who's kind of a smaller guy for a lot of minutes. Like, yeah, he played well. He definitely played well. But it's it is tough it's tough you know you want to fill in around those superstars with the type of guys who can do something and yeah you're often less left going okay well i don't feel like we got much from a wayne simmons a joe thornton even mckay if you're right down the lineup there wasn't much offered there well an angle yeah. like gotta go too like it's just yeah. like i i what i know with all certainty now is that it's like oh engvall and mckayev's thing was reach and it's like you know who else we did that with <laughs> like that's if that's your main thing is reach. Yeah. Like I, I'd rather have other skill sets than that. Thank you, um, but like I, I just I want more than reach. That that would be good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. The um, you know the idea that you know there were players on the Leafs group who could forecheck and br- and disrupt pucks mm-hmm. is also you know, comes with the idea that they can do something with them once they get them. And like, you know, Hyman was so effective because he would disrupt pucks and he played with guys that could do something with it. it you don't feel like much happened when Pierre Engvall would turn a puck over. Uh, so yeah, there, there, that definitely is a spot that's wanting a bit down the lineup. I guess I'm just a little confused as to what we're talking about with identity, right? Because the the lightning, so much has been made of that third line and them acquiring those guys at the deadline and how physical they are. They don't do a ton of scoring, right? Like all of their scoring basically comes from the top six. Um, are, and it doesn't sound like we're talking about goals necessarily. Also, the injury factor here. Like, obviously, they thought Riley Nash would play a factor in that bottom six. Nick Felino maybe wasn't going to be in that bottom six, but was a, a fallback to be on that third line, maybe as the centerman. Like, I, I guess I just get, I get bogged down with, like, the definition of, of identity with that bottom six mm-hmm. for the Maple Leafs. We outlined it. We just talked about the Sezikis line. Like, that's the identity line that sparked this conversation. Yeah, that's the point, is that the Coleman line doesn't need to score to have a big impact Coleman on the game. Coleman had 15 like, goals this year yeah, in a short year, by the way. He was on pace for 20-something. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, I didn't really get that one either. But, like, um, yeah, no. It's The point is, is that you impact the game in a way. 
and that the Leafs' third line and fourth line, like, when they got scoring from Spezza, it was like, oh, okay, good. They have this one, like, talented guy that's down the roster who's, like, a good vet that can create some offense or who can finish when he gets opportunities. But outside of that, it's like they had no identity. Like, that's it. That's the version of identity is, like, be something. Even if you are the skilled third line, which they've tried to have in the past, it's like that is an identity. Riley Nash was punt. He's not going to score for you, and he's not going to hit. That's what he does. He goes out and he kills time. Ilya Mikheyev, what does he do? He turns teams over. He skates really fast down the wing. He cuts sometimes in the front of the net and never finishes. That's his identity. Like they All didn't... that does is put pressure on your scorers to score, right? It's right. Like, you guys have to because we're going to keep punting. Exactly. It was just like punt, punt, punt. But the end result of it is like, what did you actually do out there? Nothing. You just ate up some of the ice time and you didn't really have an impact on the game. In any way. So that's the what the definition of identity is, Ben, is like find a way to have that group make more of a tangible impact on the result of the game. And right now they don't have that. Well, how, how much of this comes down to Sheldon Keefe and mixing and matching and not being consistent with the, his line machinations throughout the course of the season and then into the postseason? Well, I don't know. You know, it's it would have been interesting to see some more, you know, Nylander at center or whatever during the regular season. But I think at times we were we complained about uh, too much of that shuffling going on. You know, he, here's the thing that, like, I think is going to be unpopular probably with JD here. But, like, I find it really hard to talk about this Leafs team and pretend that if John Tavares isn't healthy, they don't get they don't win one of games one, five or six. They you know, 100% they, do. I'm, that's very do. popular with me. I just The thing is, is like I agree with that. I also just feel like we saw enough when they didn't have him to establish that they should have won anyway. And so I don't really like yes. it as like, uh, hey, they let's definitely should have won the, anyway. Yes. That's what I mean. Is like when it, when it comes to like, I think two things can be true here. One is that the Leafs were the better team, especially when they were healthy. But two is that the stars in Matthews and Marner specifically utterly collapsed. Like, that those two guys were not able to elevate or even maintain their play. Like, that's what we say clutches, right? Maintain your level of play. And they were not able to do that. That seeing stuff like Mitch Marner leading the playoffs again in pucks over the glass is like, that's not nothing to me. <laughs> that's pretty, like, indicative that this guy has a bit of a mental block right now. And you are really, really putting a lot on a future of a team that could have beaten Montreal, could be in this situation, if you continue to believe that, that guy can overcome it at some point, but if he can't, then they'll never win. They will not win a Stanley Cup. You know what uh, is ominous in retrospect, and I will own it and say that I liked the quotes at the time, and I think I said that as much on this show, but Sheldon Keefe saying, I don't feel the need to hide these guys from anyone. Looks ominous about Philip Deneau, and just, you know, there wasn't enough good players on Montreal to think that if you had put in some pains to get them off the ice with their the opposing you know shut down line maybe they would have been they wouldn't have got shut down so bad like they just kept running them out head to head for six games or sorry seven seven games and it didn't work out they never broke through and so making the claim pre-series that I don't feel the need to hide these guys from anyone maybe after a few you go I'm gonna kind of hide them a little bit <laughs> yeah I get some favorable matchups at home. Yeah, yeah. I, say, I think the it... biggest screw up was just not taking Marner off the top line and bumping him down the lineup and seeing if you could get something else with him on a with a different group, and like you know just shaking him up. Like that was always my biggest gripe was bump Nylander up, see what he looks like with Matthews, especially when you're trailing games, and keep Hyman there instead of having it where it was like the adjustment was let's take Hyman off that line. It was like no 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 you got it all wrong. Let's see if Marner can do something with like a Spezza and a Kerfoot or 
uh, Spezza and uh, Felino, like anything. I know Felino got hurt, but let me see a different group where Marner doesn't have as much on his plate. And if it frees up Matthews, if he starts going better, if something better happens where you've got another threat on the ice, but that that's the one I look back on and say, when from a coaching standpoint anyways, like why were you not... It, you know what it reminds me? I, I, I hate to keep doing this, but it's like it's so much... The Leafs and the Sixers could not have had more of a similar exit this year, where it's like the setup man that everyone loves that thinks is a top 20 player in the league who is not known for scoring but is known for playmaking went completely Time silent in the Simmons? postseason. Yes, and it's like Marner and Simmons, and then we're left with the same question, which is like, is either guy clutch? What do you do with either guy? But both coaches, Doc Rivers, was like, there was a point in the series with the Sixers where they were like, you, should you bench Ben Simmons? And he was like apoplectic, like, you can't yeah. bench Ben Simmons. What are you supposed to do with Ben Simmons? I can't bench Ben Simmons. And then it ends up being like, we didn't get enough from Ben Simmons, and I didn't really have... Um, I don't know. I I don't want to say the guts, but like I didn't have the conviction to bump this guy down the lineup who's an $11 million player and one of the most important pieces of the franchise when it was pretty clear that it wasn't working. And so with Ben Simmons and Mitch Marner both, it's like part of their failures still do get attributed to the coaches as well for not not taking them out of the massive spotlights that they were under and knowing that at some point, like, it's good to have faith in your players and say, like, I believe in you in the big spots. But then it actually is also good sometimes to be like, hey, you don't have this right now at this level. And, like, we're going to try and put you in a different spot to see if we can get you going. We still believe in you. You know this team needs you, but we need you in a different way right now. Like, that should be that should be something. And neither of those teams did it. And now they're both on the outside looking in with their fan bases clamoring for both those guys to get traded. What kills me about the punt of a postseason press conference is I, I didn't get a sense for where the management sits on this team. Like, what's got to change? You know, they immediately bring back Jason Spezza. Uh, you know, they said every, everyone else is, you know, going to be here. But, like, the draft is coming up here. I think it's three weeks away, roughly, um, the expansion draft. Like, I, are we, are we going to see them do something drastic is still – you know, it's not beyond Dubas to do something drastic. It would not blow my mind. So I'm curious to see what they really thought of how that all went down, how much blame they're putting on Mitch Marner for that postseason performance. Yeah, I mean, every indication would be that the top, that the the four guys making all the money are going to be around until Kyle Dubas either wins a Stanley Cup or, or gets summarily dismissed. I suppose they could pull a fast one, unless you consider, I think Morgan Riley being traded would be a massive, massive blow. Like, that's one I could absolutely see happening, but... Outside of My that, thing with the, the Riley trade more. is how are you getting better? Like, mm-hmm. how, how are you getting better by trading Morgan Riley when you're already having an offseason that's going to cost you Zach Hyman? And, like, I'm sorry, but a goaltender that has been an all-star. Like, I, it, it's just it's hard for me to understand where yeah, it's hard. It's hard to imagine forward. sitting here going into game one and they're without Hyman, Riley, and Anderson thinking this is the year now. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. But still, and Foligno, listen. Because he's probably gone too, right? So, and I like I know he wasn't good in the playoffs, but it's like when we're talking about the loaded up version of this team, he's still a part of it. And like you're working around the fringes with all these like spare parts. It's just, yeah. But this, well, that, what, this is like I know we talked about Marner here. Like <laughs> this yeah. is how it always works. As you start talking about one thing, you get back into the Marner discussion. But it's why I still believe that finding a way to get a group that is impactful is still super important. And frankly, if you're looking at why they got those contracts and how they built this team in the first place, of course they expected to have more money, blah, blah, blah. 
Dubis really believed that he could find things around the fringes and make that work, right? Wasn't that the <laughs> whole thing? Was like we found AHL guys that we think are – uh, like the Vegas model, where it's like these other teams didn't think that these guys were very good. We actually think that we can turn them into something. We don't view the gap between a third-line guy here and a third-line guy there as that big, so we're going to find the right guys. And I'm sorry, but as of right now, one of the stories of this Leafs team, of this Leafs core, is that Kyle Dubas has been unable to actually find a bottom six that works. We thought the veteran thing worked. And then it didn't in the postseason. It turned out like you couldn't really play Wayne Simmons. You really couldn't play Joe Thornton. And having those guys out on the ice was like hurting you more than it was helping you. And it's like you got to find guys that actually impact the game. Otherwise, it makes the other contracts worse because this was part of the gamble. Yeah. No, that's true. Um, You know, it's – when they first signed those guys, it's funny because we said – you know, I'm thinking of the Simmons and Thorntons. You know, they signed them for cheap, which not easy to find guys who can play for cheap. So the comparison for Joe Thornton is you can't hold them up against Joe Thornton. You got to hold them up against what's available for 750 grand in the league. Um, you know, was he worse than what you get for that money? I don't know, but you're right. The bargain is not that you find a guy who's about normal you, you the bargain the plan is that you find better than that and you're right i don't think they've been able to find better than other teams have for the money at the bottom of the roster well the 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 way you could save money and going back to the morgan riley thing is if you think rasmus sandin is ready for top four minutes and yeah. I, I i felt i felt pretty good about that at the end of the regular season i feel a little bit differently about it in the postseason not like writing off his career or anything but that's a lot pretty no. soon for for this player for sure, and, and I feel the same way where it's like that's one of the gambles that you would have to take or that is at right. least on the table, right? Like, hey, eventually we have to let the first-round pick be a first-round pick and, like, we're not moving off of Muzzin because we're not really able to. I don't know who's absorbing the Muzzin contract at this point or, like, plus he's super important the Leafs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, trading Justin Hall doesn't do much for you. I, like, I don't know what you're supposed to do, but I just – I like Sandine, but I think what was pretty clear in the postseason, like where would you guys rank Morgan Riley as among the Leafs' best players in that series? I would say he was like one of their best five players, without a doubt. Like easily one – like he was one of their best three players. What am I saying? Like he really was. Like you would say Jack Campbell, Morgan Riley, and William (laughs) Nylander. No, I was going to – Nylander. And then probably like Kerfoot down the line. But it's like Morgan Riley was awesome in that series for the most part. He made the odd Morgan Riley mistake, but – I, I thought he was spectacular. And if you take him out and Zach Hyman out and no chance of a Nick Felino, and if your goaltender who's been hurt his entire career and has never proven that he's a starter is not, you know, giving you... Like, right now, you need Jack Campbell, who's on a, what, a $1 million something dollar contract to be giving you $8 million worth of value, which feels like a lot of pressure on him. <laughs> you know, like, that feels like a, a lot of pressure on the guy who is not necessarily the best with pressure, but has shown that he's okay with it so far. If for I a can small quote strike. Charlie Montoyo's chest, it's fine. Everything's yeah. fine. That's it. It's like you're, you you got to find surplus in areas, right? Like where are you getting a surplus of value in salary cap era? And right now they're goaltending with that one guy is a lot. Um, I don't know where else you're getting it right now. Like yeah. for Morgan Riley, you are. <laughs> and yeah. For Morgan Riley, you <laughs> no, are. And you're like, they should trade him. I'm like, well, I don't know how that, like, where does that, what does, what does $5 million get you right now? Like. You know, what? what is Zach Hyman back? I don't know. Right. That's what I mean. It's like, so is that the decision? I don't know. It's just, it's tough, man. It's really, really hard. 
So you, know, you got to find it around the fringes. you got to find surplus, and the way to find some surplus is with a third line that actually provides that instead of just punt. You cannot yeah. punt. You need but I, I mean, to, to find that sort of a surplus, you have to find guys that don't – or that are giving you the opposite. And like Engvall makes 1.25, I think. Mm-hmm. You're not getting that much value for him. There's a little Negative bit. value. You know, who? yeah, who's who's giving you negative value? And the reality is you got uh, like $5 million worth for Mitch Marner or, I don't know, $8 million of negative value for Mitch Marner. That's probably where the biggest miss is, right? Mm-hmm. It is. So, I, just... I don't know. Do you, do you cut that out? Do you trade that? That's – uh, I I don't I don't think I don't I do that I do. yet but a lot of fans do. Oh, I just again like this just to me is it's a math equation where you're trying to find your best way forward and okay like I just don't like yeah we're, we're gonna be doing a lot of these shows so I don't want to keep stepping on it but I just I need to be presented with the options of what your depth looks like and what your team looks like without the hymen like part of this where we were saying like let's not forget how important Hyman was to this team and how many conversations we had about him driving a third line and how he's someone who can play up and down the lineup and it's like we're just putting Nick Robertson in that role like and this will be great and you go I don't think Nick Robertson's as good as Zach Hyman like I don't think that he's even close or even half as good so there's a guy they're gonna need though isn't it that's a good point sure yeah sure you're gonna need Nick Robertson he could do something but like yeah it's a yeah, I, I just I don't see how this team gets better, and at least with the Marner trade, like you can talk me into a way that they're more balanced and they're deeper and they're like this goes to the blue line thing, right? Remember last year where it was like the pieces don't fit is like that's how I feel about it now from a cap standpoint, where it's like you're never gonna have a good balance with the cap if this is the way that you have it going forward, and if you keep Morgan Riley and try to win next year, it's like. Boy, that's another own rental. Now it's like Zach Hyman, James Van Riemsdyk, Tyler Bozak, Freddie Henderson, Morgan Riley, all out the door for no returning assets on a team that's capped out. Woo! Good luck. (laughs) Good luck with that. That's how Calgary's where they are. Like, this is what happened to Calgary. They were like, we don't need to get anything back. We'll just trade more stuff. We'll get (laughs) Travis Hamnick for a first-round pick. And then they're like, why don't we have any depth or talent? They're like, because we didn't have any picks and we didn't have anything (laughs) coming up. And now we suck. And now Tuchuk hates it here, and he wants to go to St. Louis, and we're going to get nothing back. <laughs> anyway, yeah. we got to go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bourne, great stuff, buddy. Talk again next week. Thanks, See guys. You, bud.